A Dash of Gingers presents Taskmaster Australia coverage for silent podcasts. Hello, everyone. I'm Six Minute Shower Sarah Carradine, podcasting from unceded Gadigal land. And I'm with unsinkable bowling ball Sean Bryan. Hello, Sean. Hello, hello. I'm Sean Bryan, the redhead who dreads the yeast spread. How are you doing today, Sarah? <laughs> I'm doing fine. I thought you were turning into Dr. Zeus there for a moment. The fact I got through that on the first try means that it's only uphill from here. Yes. Are you are you ignoring the fact that you tried it five times and I edited it? Shh, don't tell them that part. <laughs> and our guest today is someone who has never watched the show before, so we're very eager to get all of her takes. It's Live Crab in a Park, Amy Chan. Hello, Amy. Hi. Yeah, I'm very excited to be here with you guys today as part of the Genetic Meat Spread Alliance. Mm -hmm. uh, I do not have red hair, so I'm not quite sure why I got invited on the show, but I'm excited to talk to you guys today. It's not gingers only, but it's ginger run for gingers. <laughs> <laughs> so, Amy, as I said, you've never watched Taskmaster before. So tell us, what is Taskmaster? So from what I could tell from the one episode that I watched not very long ago is <laughs> it's essentially a show with a panel of five comedians who are asked to do four different tasks in every episode and they are judged by Tom Gleason, who then gives out points for each task and at the end there's a winner but it was unclear to me exactly what they win or why they would want to win but... That's just what happened. Somebody won and that was the end. Well, you have absolutely got to the heart of Taskmaster because points don't matter, eh, Sean? They do not at all. And so what they do win, it depends. There's a, something you win for the episode and something you win for the season. And in general, what happens is each episode, that prize task at the start of the episode, that is what the contestants are playing for that episode. Those five objects that people have brought in, as terrible as they may be, they are the prizes that they can take home. And what I found out more during the week, uh, listening to one of the directors of UK Taskmaster, is that they can actually take those things home. It's an option for them. They can either give it back to the other contestants or they can take it home themselves if that is something. Joe Wilkinson brought in his wedding ring. Mm. I don't think the winner of that episode took that home. You'd hope not. And they said most often people will give it back to... The others, unless it is something they do not care about at all. <laughs> and then over the season, what they're playing for is that golden trophy of Tom Gleason's head and the glory that comes with that trophy. <laughs> I don't know why you would want a giant golden trophy of Tom Gleason's head staring at you all the time. But <laughs> What's even crazier is in the UK, after many, many seasons, they had a special called Champion of Champions where they had winners from different series come on and compete. And then they were competing for a golden body to put the head onto. <laughs> I like that. That's like life-size Lego. Yeah. Yes, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yes. <laughs> if you win those five items from the start of the episode each episode, the requirement should be you have to bring an actual item. You can't just bring a photo of an item. Mm. So, you know, if it's a chair, I think you should have to bring the actual chair. It's a and crab. You should have to bring the actual crab. There's a big thing that I remember listening to Alex Horn, who's the creator of all Taskmaster, talking about that he really doesn't like when people bring in things like vouchers because the whole point of these prizes bringing in is the payoff of at the end of the episode, the person going up on stage and interacting with those items. 
So yeah. like we had this episode, the winner acting like some of the prizes is really funny. Whereas someone having a piece of paper or a picture, there's not a lot they can do with that that's entertaining to an audience. So having a physical, interesting item is really important. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that that should be um, definitely a rule because I felt like this week there was too many photos of things and not enough physical things, which is probably why I didn't really understand what the prize was at the end. Yes, the two in-studio tasks, the prize task at the beginning and the live task at the end, are traditionally the weaker of the tasks, although we have had a spectacular in-studio uh, task come through so far with uh, with this new season. And I agree, I like the actual actual objects. Uh, so it was a little poor this time for your first go that there were three bits of paper, including a mm. menu from a wanky cafe, which somehow managed to get three points. Sean, do you want to take us through the prizes? Yeah, so for the prize task this week, it was bringing the coolest thing you found on a walk within one kilometre of your house. And so Luke brought in a street chair and really he showed a picture where the street chair, someone had created their own view in his local area. And the image itself was quite cool. It showed the footpath and just kind of, it's the kind of trash you find on the street when you go for a walk. So it was really relatable. Jimmy then brought in a menu from a cool hipster winery cafe, which really shows that he's living in a nice area, no doubt. I wish I got to look at the menu more because my thing about hipster cafes is there's always one item in each piece of food on the menu. It's just like, what is that doing there? Like, like, why are there rose petals on that? Like, it's a bacon and eggs dish. Like, that makes no sense. Oh, but you're charging $24 for it now. It makes sense. Mm. Well, it's just like, I need to know. I don't, I shouldn't have to Google Translate an item on my menu unless I'm in a um, restaurant that's a cuisine of a foreign country. Mm -hmm. Uh, So then we had Nina, who. Speaking about cuisine of a a different country. Brought in a Marrickville pork roll. And this confused me at first because for some reason I misinterpreted this task as bringing the coolest thing you found on the ground on a walk. And so when it was a pork roll, I was like, that's terrifying. Like that's to find <laughs> that on the ground. That's a big worry. You shouldn't be carrying, like you shouldn't pick that up. You shouldn't interact with that. But clearly just a local shop that sells great pork rolls. That is pretty cool if you can find one that is excellent. And then we had Danielle. And this is where I think that was potentially some of the best of what we had in this task was a live crab from a park when she doesn't (laughs) live near an ocean or a river system. And the way she delivered that was brilliant because I could just picture going to a park where I live. I'm not near an ocean, not really too close to a river. I found a crab scuttling sideways in a park, raised so many questions. I'd be wondering, how did that get there? Where does that come from? Is it a friend? Is it an enemy? It was quite large too. Yeah, it was. Like, there's so many questions to be asked about that. Off and the back Ju- of the seafood truck? Yeah, maybe. And then Julia brought in a large inflatable dancing man. The wacky waving inflatable arm mans that you often see at car dealerships, uh, which she physically had because it was on stage at the end of the episode and was potentially the most visually exciting of these. So, Amy, when you got presented all of these, what were your initial thoughts? Like, what did you like? What did you not like? Well, my first initial thought was, why did the pork roll not win? Because uh, a I good pork roll, yeah, good pork roll wins hands down every time. So why did the pork roll not win? 
And now that you've explained to me the mechanism with the prize, it would have actually been fun to have pork roll man or woman on the stage at the end, making pork rolls for everybody. I think that would have been like quite a little funny twist at the end. Um, I also love the idea of the crab because she starts that whole story with, I don't live near an ocean and I don't live near a river. And my item that I found, and I was expecting it to be a really kind of dad joke, a little bit B-grade. And then when she showed a picture of crab, I just thought that was hilarious. I wanted to know so much about where that crab had come from. And I really wanted to see the crab. So it would have been great if the crab had been a little, in a little container, just crawling around so we could have seen him. Or even a standby crab, not the actual crab that she found, yeah. but another. Do you know this comedian, Danielle Walker? No, I don't. She is an absolute revelation. I didn't know her before the show started, but you've absolutely captured what's so great about her. Her storytelling is impeccable. She doesn't use a lot of words. She doesn't set off so you think, okay, strap in for a big, long story. But she creates worlds and narratives in your mind. Just She's very, very disarming. I'm incredibly impressed by her. That really quick nature of it too, where she sets it up and then gives you a quick twist that you're not expecting. And so for a TV like this, that's brilliant because it catches you off guard, makes you laugh, and then they can just move on. Whereas some people in different series of this show can spend a long time trying to explain why they've brought in that item. And sometimes I can fall flat. I think particularly as a writer as well, I really appreciate that her humour is just very clever play on language. She's not relying on sort of uh, body language or making stupid faces. She really, it's all in the delivery of the words. And I particularly loved that image of some random seagull flying home with his dinner that he's dropped and it's landed there in the park in the middle of some sort of urban area. I thought that was a great sort of image to think about. Well, it, may, it makes sense zoologically because uh, seagulls do and other birds do pick up crustaceans and throw them on the road to break their shells or to hope that cars drive over them because they're smart. And uh, like you, I love the idea of this crab just flying through the air and then escaping into the park and being found by Danielle. <laughs> and I love what you said there about the way that they've interpreted the words because sometimes that can be really important in these tasks and made me think that no one took this on as bringing the coolest thing you found on a walk within one corner of your house and brought in the coldest thing they found which could be an interesting mm. way of interpreting those words which often they can try and go for that second interpretation of the words try and stand out and be different okay. well i wanted to know from you guys what is the coolest thing that you guys have found on a walk within 15 minutes from your house so on a run recently, within the first probably 500 metres of my run, I found a $10 note. And I was mm. pretty excited by that because it finally felt like I was a professional athlete being paid for my efforts. <laughs> I recently saw a little pink barrette. Uh, it was a, a, a ribbon. It made a, a pink bow uh, onto a barrette that obviously had fallen out of a, a little girl's hair. And it made me, well, uh, not necessarily a little girl's hair, but it made me like Danielle. It just was this whole story for me about there were probably a pair of them and now she's lost one and was she sad? And I don't know. I took a photograph of it and I don't know why. It's just a dirty pink bow on a dirty urban street. But, yeah, that that attracted me. The story behind it attracted me, which is why I love Danielle's one. What about you, Amy? What is the coolest thing you've found within a kilometre of your home? Uh, well, about five... Houses down the road from us, one day we found a lame cockatoo. 
So he was lying on the ground and he was sort of limping around. He clearly couldn't fly. Uh, so we went, went back home, got a box, put him in the box, and then a whole adventure ensued of driving around on a Sunday trying to find a vet that was open that would take this cockatoo. And as we went down the list of vets and couldn't find one that was open, the more and more upset my kids became and the more I started to think I'm going to end up with this pet cockatoo, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> We managed to find a vet that took him, um, but sadly he did not survive. Um, uh, Amy, I believe you need to contact Ludo Studios because Bluey may have stolen the plot of your adventure for an episode. Because almost <laughs> really? the basis, that is a Bluey episode called Copycat. <laughs> so I should be suing for yeah breach of copyright, should I? Yeah, yeah, you shared that anywhere. I think that <laughs> they may have stolen your life memories. <laughs> I would have given zero or one point to the menu. Mm, I, it, it's not something that he created. It wasn't something interesting. He sort of was trying to say, oh, I would have brought in the cafe, but it's too big. Okay, so you don't bring that in. You bring in something I, else. Um, so I was that cool because no. almost all of us have a cool hipster cafe in our area. Like it's just mm -hmm. a thing that exists, especially if you are in Melbourne or Sydney or anywhere on the east coast of Australia. There are cool hipster wankery cafes everywhere. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, I, I think we're all in, in, in agreement. The Marrickville pork roll should have got the five points and uh, Nina was robbed. <laughs> I feel yes, like Danielle absolutely. was robbed too because that live crab took me so off guard and was so funny and was like, that's a story you're going to be telling anyone you see for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> I wanted more story. Did the crab survive? Yes. Where is it? What Somebody did ask it? her if she ate it. So there are some tasks where the taskmaster makes a value judgment, such as this prize task. He is the only arbiter of how many points anyone gets. And then there are prizes that are, uh, I'm sorry, tasks that have quantifiable points, as we see with task two. Sink the bowling ball. You cannot get wet. The fastest wins. So the points are going to be allocated simply on the speed with which you sunk the bowling ball. How did you see this task, Amy? They are in a, on a property that has a house. The house has various rooms. There's also a lawn. There's also a lake. There's a garage full of things that are available. There's a kitchen. There's a laboratory. And we see different tasks set in different places. So sink the bowling ball in Pooh Lake. How did you find it? <laughs> Well, first of all, who knew that a bowling ball wouldn't sink? That was bizarre. I love that <laughs> I as a like, mechanism of the task that they've clearly gone in expecting people to assume it would just sink straight away, so they deliberately chose one that wouldn't, and I think that's really great design. Well, how does it not sink? I don't understand that. Is it not a normal? Do, do all the bowling those, balls not sink? The ones that are around six pounds, there's so much, because they essentially fill the bowling ball with concrete, it's a lot more aerated when it's a lighter bowling ball. So there's a lot more buoyancy to them. So the lighter they are, the more air there is in the actual sphere of it. When did I suddenly become a bowling ball expert? On a when podcast? did you? Yes, I'm looking at you like, whoa. Is it a child's bowling ball? Is it a toy bowling ball? So essentially, is yeah, it... like the six pound ones, they are often for children or people who are like starting to learn. And so like they're often the smallest ones. They have giant finger holes. That was that was hilarious, actually. I thought the fact that the bowling ball wouldn't sink, but I thought that Luke was the cleverest, and I felt like the way he solved this went 
pretty much unnoticed by the taskmaster, which I thought was strange because I thought that was extremely clever. Well, what was interesting about that is often recently the taskmaster of Tom Gleason has been really by the letter of the law. And so in most tasks, if it was to sink the bowling ball and they didn't physically sink it, he would penalize them for it. So this is one of the first times where someone went and interpreted it to their own benefit that he was okay with. And Luke didn't necessarily get overly rewarded with it, but that was more based on the fact it was set on the time it took them to do it. So it, to me, it was actually a step in the right direction that he was allowed to do that, which was a lot more fun. Well, Luke does claim that you say that about dishes. Come on, we need to sink these dishes, put them in the sink. I should be saying that from now on. I liked it. I loved the um, fact that he wanted to cover up that his bum was wet. And once he couldn't cover it up, he claimed it was piss. And in the studio, he said he would continue to claim that if he could get his five points. You cannot get wet. I would have expected a lot harsher critiques from the taskmaster, Tom Gleason because everybody got wet. I suppose because everybody got wet, he yeah. let them go through. I did appreciate the like nuance on it of that that rule existed to stop people just diving the ball underwater with them and saying they sunk it. And it also mm-hmm. led to a lot of fun interactions, though, with Tom Cashman in that the way that he just kind of did a turnaround motion with his hand to get Luke to spin around to show his really wet backside and with everyone else asking them about what's going on with their knees or anything to find out where they were wet was really fun. Yes, Jimmy saying, ah, the water's quite warm. And Tom Cashman said, how do you know that? (laughs) I thought it was lovely, but he said, yes, that had been left behind by Luke. I love Nina. Nina's confidence. She knocks it off the raft. Job done. Walks away. Wonders why they're still filming. Oh, I didn't pick up my umbrella as the camera rack focuses to the floating bowling ball that she not only doesn't notice here, but is not going to notice in a future task down by the lake where it is still floating. Presumably it's still floating today. By the time they're in the studio, it's been floating for 78 days, 9 hours and 23 minutes. (laughs) Do we really think there is a three-month lead time on this show? There often is because yes. in this series, the tasks themselves were filmed over in New Zealand where they film for the New Zealand Taskmaster and all the studio segments were filmed in Sydney. So they film all the tasks over a number of weeks and then edit them all together because when they're in studio, they watch the, essentially the final edited package of them uh, in studio. And then after that, the turnaround from studio to getting it out to the public is a lot quicker. Mm, okay. So they uh, don't know how anyone else has done and, to and you know, depending on people's schedules, the only time they see another contestant is the team tasks and we've only had two team tasks so far. And, Sean, you told us that they film more tasks than we see even. Yeah, they definitely do. So sometimes I believe I've heard they film up to like six tasks per day for different people and end up rotating through them and having them there at different times just to make sure that, yeah, they've got enough footage just in case some of the tasks are a dud or they get broken in some way. Hmm. And do they repeat tasks across different seasons, international seasons? So the UK series has taken tasks from international versions, but the international versions are not allowed to use any tasks that have been used in the UK, just in case the panel comedians have already seen them and therefore understand the nuances behind them. So there's a weird assumption that in the UK, no one will be watching series from overseas. But even then, when they reuse those tasks, they tweak them in some ways. 
in yeah, Norway, okay. they use some of the UK ones, most notably uh, one of my favourite tasks of all time, which is paint a horse while riding a horse. <laughs> oh, no, not Did in Norway. Get... Sorry. That was in the US and it, it failed spectacularly. Did anybody get hurt trying to paint this horse while riding the horse? They were painting a different horse. There was a horse that they could look at. There's only been one contestant who has gotten seriously hurt while filming Taskmaster, and it was Ursula Carlson. Oh, what happened? She broke four ribs, and I think her collarbone, collarbone for a task yes. that never got shown on TV. Oh no, they didn't even air it. They didn't know, and they had to push back the studio filming because she needed to recover enough that they could actually film in studio. <laughs> They wanted, they thought, oh, maybe it'll be good vision. And then they saw it. And apparently the accident was so horrifying. They thought, we ca we cannot even, we can't show this. She set up a uh, bike jump. They shouldn't have let her do it. It's, you know, a little bit of occupational health and safety there. So so here Luke's only got, he's going to get three points because it takes him 14 minutes to get to the sink. Danielle took a very long time to sink her boat. Most of that was in the dinghy. Uh, Jimmy was very fast. He popped the the ball underneath the raft in two minutes and four seconds mostly because he just picked up the dinghy threw it off the dock and jumped into it i thought he was going to get dunked we can't uh, believe that when we're watching that and he threw it in and we're just like is he going to jump in and he just did and we're like just did. how did that work but i think that sometimes where jimmy shines the most is when he is so gung-ho about something because he's got almost like a childlike giddiness yeah. about just going head first at the task and forgets to put on a character and it's just him trying to do something in the way that he thinks is the best. And it's really natural and fun. Amy, did you know these? You didn't know Danielle. Did, you knew uh, Luke before you watched the show? Yeah, I love Luke McGregor. We watch, uh, what's that show that's set in Tasmania that he's in? Glenhaven. Yes, I love Glenhaven. Wonderful. So being, yes, it's a great show. Oh, I'm sorry, Rosehaven. Rosehaven. Rose I knew Glenhaven wasn't quite right, but I thought if I just sit with it long enough. Yeah, shout out Celia Pacola. Yeah, that's a great show. So I love him. I uh, really like Jimmy Rees. We saw him come to my town on tour, actually, when he was part of Giggle and Hoot. And he has a lot of charisma, I have to say, for a child performer. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of him. Uh, and then Julia Morris. I know who Julia Morris is. She doesn't personally do it for me, but I know who she is. I yes. had no idea who Danielle was, had never seen Nina before either and um, did not know who Tom Cashman was, which, by the way, are they shrinking him when they bring him into the studio? Because he's so tall in the tasks. And then in the studio when he sits next to Tom Gleason, he's so tiny. It's so we have chest. talked about this and one of the like things in almost all seasons of Taskmaster is the relationship between the Taskmaster and the Taskmaster's assistant. And it's meant to be very like adversarial and very much a power imbalance but this is the international version most where he is the tiniest chair possible seemingly an oversized blazer and just looks like a child <laughs> and i think tom gleason or main tom as he called himself last week is in an elevated and a much bigger chair so they've yes there's a little bit of trickery going on there no, I, I'm I'm the same as you, Amy. I didn't know the younger comedians, Danielle, Nina and Tom Cashman. And I've been impressed with all of them for very different reasons. Jimmy, Jimmy's a, a bit of a tangled knot because when he forgets to try and be funny, he's charismatic, enthusiastic, 
uh, fun, joyous and really effective. And for me, when he's trying to be funny, when he reads a, a task out in a funny voice or puts a wig half over his face and tries to do a voice, to me, not so effective. So I've been very happy with him every time he just throws himself into the task and forgets to try for, for comedy. Uh, the way he kind of leapt into that raft and kind of the Incredible. way he sort of hurtles around a room did make me think that he would be really great at big challenges like Australian Survivor style challenges. I think he would be really fun to watch because he clearly doesn't care about his own safety. He just <laughs> launches himself at it. So I think he would actually be quite funny to watch doing um, yeah, more complicated obstacle course type things. Did you hear that, Jimmy? Did you hear that, Channel 10? Get Jimmy on Survivor. <laughs> All right. So task three and you really got such a bouquet of Taskmaster tropes, Amy, and one of them is all the information you need is on the task and people not reading the task correctly. And here we have an absolutely spectacular example of it, including the fateful words, it's really helpful to read the envelope by the person who is not, in fact, following the, the instructions. So the instructions are snap something and crackle something and pop something your first snap, crackle and pop counts. Most satisfying snap, crackle and pop wins. So a couple of weeks ago, we had a named item. We had some thongs and the brand name was given twice, Haviana. But here, there is a big bowl of generic rice cereal in the lab to give them a general idea. And later, we're going to see something else generic or perhaps genetic. How did this task uh, strike you, Amy? Well, first of all, on that generic point, both times they made a point of saying generic twice and then later on in the segment they said the brand names. So yes. I didn't really understand the point of that. Yeah, this was interesting, the Snap, Crackle, Pop. I thought the I was particularly blown away by Julian Morris like trying to burn the rice bubbles and then getting that kind of noise. That never would have occurred to me. I, I was really curious how she knew how to do that. I was also interested in whether this is kind of Nina's character. Is she the one who always doesn't finish the challenge, doesn't read the instructions? Is that kind of her trope or is that just this particular episode? Not so far, just this episode. Sean? Yeah, like normally she's often thinking quite creatively and a bit larger than life and really quite is detail-oriented. But something about these tasks this episode, she kind of lost the plot a little bit and really wasn't focusing on um, exactly what they need to do and sometimes this happens a lot where people read the task and get so overwhelmed by the first part of it and the time that they have they just go head first into doing it and they don't fully absorb all the information that has been given to them. Nina is Sean's winner pick mm. from the, from oh. pre-season. Which and, looks um, so good in the first two episodes. And mine is Luke. so great today. <laughs> and uh, Nina and Luke have consistently been at the bottom, so it shows how much uh, we know. <laughs> I, I very much like Julia's interpretation of Snap. She just turned around. How very dare you? Done. She likes to get it through quickly and have an early mark. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. I liked Jimmy's ideas. I don't know how satisfying the sounds were, but according to 
main Tom, they were the most satisfying because he got that fast points. That double balloon was terrifying. Terrifying. Like, it was great terrifying. to see Tom Cashman wincing because that was exactly how I looked on the couch, just like tensing up because I'm not used to seeing a balloon get that big. They have some high quality balloons that can blow up that large. But then the way that it burst, I wish they had a slow-mo camera on that because there would have been ripples in Jimmy's face and that would have stung. You could see the after effects of the impact and that was terrifying. He was holding his hand in front of his face and in front of his eyes and I thought, yes, yes, Jimmy, for once, protect your eyes. Well, actually, uh, on the OHS bit, I was really curious. That it never occurred to me that when Danielle was getting that blow-up fit ball and then she had the hammer, no, well, the axe, yeah. that that would bounce back in her face. That never would have occurred to me. I would have just swung away. Mm-hmm. So lucky they actually had somebody there to stop her from doing that. I think the safety officer is right on top of it. Uh, Danielle also said it would be very satisfying to shoot a gun. They did not <laughs> offer her a gun. <laughs> <laughs> but her crackle, I thought, was brilliant. She found yeah. a an eggshell in the bin in the kitchen, and held it very, very close to the boom mic. And oh, it was it was it was very satisfying. Uh, now, I would, I had a question about you know how they redacted all the additional sounds that Nina did because she kept forgetting that she only only the first one would count. I noticed throughout the show that every now and then an R would appear in the bottom left-hand third of the screen. What is that about? Are they replay. redacting something else? That's re- a replay. replay. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. They're, they're, really so they're kind of <laughs> st- taking that from sport, I think, not yeah. being a sports ball person, but I, I think, yes, replay. find the editing choice of the sound redacted for Nina is really funny as an editing choice. I would have loved to hear the sounds as well, but it was just so funny to commit to it when they um, made sure to preload the task with, it's great to make sure that people read everything in the task then get into the task and Nina just be so gung-ho. She actually not only said it's really helpful to read the envelope, but she reread it. And as Jimmy pointed out, she carried the task around (laughs) with her. Uh, She still gets two points. And I think this is the ideal way of someone doing poorly, where someone does poorly but in such an entertaining way that it, the payoff is great when people do well or do badly. Yes. And mm. and we and she was down by the lake seeing her ball. Yeah. Yes. And that was great too because they didn't draw too much attention to it. You could just see the ball in between Tom and Nina just sitting there. And that payoff was awesome. I also really liked um, Luke's interpretation of pop being a pop song. Yeah. About Tom Gleason. Yes, that was good. And having Tom Cashman play the keyboard while he played guitar. That was just a really fun thing. And just, I love whenever Luke does anything like that because he has such regret about it that the second they get back to the studio, he apologizes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and here's another thing where contestants use the assistant for various things, to get them things, to hold things, or indeed to be part of the task, sometimes successfully and uh, sometimes not. And we're about to see him be very used. Amy, do you want to take us through, thoroughly spread this generic yeast spread on the best thing? You have 12 minutes. Mm, so, so this was a strange task. And this is one of these ones where you feel like, I wish someone had invented smell vision because... That just would have added a whole other layer to this segment where essentially they were given this giant uh, jar of 
generic yeast spread and they had to spread it on some item which some of them did quite thoroughly and in some cases say with Danielle quite beautifully actually uh, and then when they finished doing that and thought they thought that was the end of the task they were then given another envelope to say that they had to then clean it off within a certain amount of time so for people who had chosen a standalone small item such as a globe or a picture it was relatively easy to complete successfully other people who had really gone all into the entertainment value like julia morris and she painted her whole body or jimmy reeves who had decided to paint tom cashman's entire suit it became a little bit more difficult to complete the task successfully yes you how you, you had this treat as well which is the actual task comes second so the task that they are going to be marked on is the secondary task, which is the speed with which you can clean the generic yeast spread off your best thing. So the first part, which people, uh, Danielle decided to, that the best thing would be a picture of a taskmaster, which is lovely, had no bearing and it was only the cleaning. Shauna, how did you uh, endure this task? Because I know that you had a bit of a visceral reaction. Yes, so personally, generic yeast spread, or Vegemite as it's more commonly called, is not my favorite thing in the world the smell repulses me to the point where my parents used to use it against me when i was a child but we won't get into that future <laughs> past trauma but uh so in the thoroughly spreading the yeast spread on the best thing i do wish there was a bonus points element to that to kind of add to the higher risk contestants whether it be a sort of a degree just, of difficulty or something like that yeah yeah or just like the most extreme use of it with danielle's the way that she formed the yeast spread perfectly into the shape of a person and kind of decorated it was really impressive. It did look a little bit like fecal matter, but <laughs> still very impressive. And she cleaned it very well. So she did awesome there. I love Nina's globe. This is probably the best that Nina, actually she still performed poorly, but Nina in this episode was still doing great stuff. And the way of the, in-studio banter about cleaning the globe and her doing more than most companies was brilliant. <laughs> Luke created a task within a task because he put his hand into the jar and then he got the fake hand, which is one of the many, many props. Did they say 18,000 items in the Taskmaster retreat? And created a guess which hand is the real hand game with Tom Cashman. And as Tom Gleason pointed out, you created a task within a task and then lost at that task. <laughs> Fantastic. I did enjoy the running gag this episode of Luke and bathroom accidents, just to get those tasks together and have it be that he'd wet himself the first time and this time he was yeah. covered in fecal matter. Just I right. did not I, enjoy I that. <laughs> I'm not a prude, but I did not enjoy that. Is that is that Luke's trope too to always sort of be? I know in his character work in general on other shows, he often you know acts like the person who does things and then regrets doing them. Um, you know, is kind of acts like he's kind of a little bit dumb, a little bit behind everybody else. Is this also the way he approaches Taskmaster in that he's sort of deliberately trying to get the challenges wrong? I think he's genuinely trying to do them in the best way possible but afterwards regrets the things that he does. Okay. I, I, yes, I think he's genuinely trying to do the task, but he's such a consummate performer 
that there must be a part of him that's always thinking about it being an entertainment product, not in the way when Jimmy tries to be funny and 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 I think he's funnier when he doesn't. Luke just has such a finely honed performer's antenna that I think he would go for the humour before he would go for the points. But I think here he genuinely got excited about his game and uh, completely forgot about the actual task. He still gets three points there. This is probably for me where, from a casting perspective, I would like to have seen another up-and-coming new comedian that I don't know. I find, I think one of the reasons why I don't take to Julia Morris is I find it very performative, very put on, and it's very transparently entertainment value, and so and it doesn't feel natural. So to me, I think I would have really liked to have seen, because we get a lot of Julia Morris on TV in general, it would have been really great for them to give that opportunity to another young and up-and-coming, doesn't have to be young, but up-and-coming comedian so we could get a different sense of somebody else and who their personality is. Because I think Julia Morris, we kind of know this character that she puts on all the time. Um, and so it would just be nice to have something a little bit different there. Yeah, that is an interesting point in terms of, I think for the first season, they were trying to get a few more well-known names like Jimmy and Julia and Luke to draw in the audiences. And hopefully, because as we know, Channel 10 has been really struggling getting shows past the first season. So hopefully if it then does get renewed, which the ratings have been fairly decent along the way so far, that then they probably will have a few more up-and-comers and unknowns because the format will be trusted by the audience. Mm-hmm. Yes, I mean, I'm thrilled with the opportunity to see, for myself, to see Danielle, Nina and Lesser Tom, but also for them to have this opportunity and to be, all of them, so kind of relaxed and ready to do it. I mean, we found Lesser Tom just slightly stiff to start with, but either we've got used to him or he stepped into his role uh, more confidently within a couple of episodes, and I've been so impressed with them. So I'm I'm with you there, Amy, uh, knowing that Channel 10 would want a, a big name, but, you know, Tom Gleeson bring, brings in the, the name recognition, surely. Yeah, I would have thought so. So then we go to the live studio task and here another treat for Amy. She gets to see the team tasks and it's always a team of two and a team of three. Sometimes it's, you know, the three men are the team and the two women. Sometimes it's old and young, apparently. But as we have found out, it's in fact to do with their schedules. It's who could who could come to the Taskmaster house and do the tasks at the same time. So we saw them do their first team task last week. Uh, Danielle and Julia are paired up. And I love their relationship. Danielle whispering to Julia, let me tell you about flamethrowers a bit later. And Julia being really excited. To me, I thought, yes, great, great teamwork. They don't do particularly well here. In your teams, create famous scenes from history for the Taskmaster. Once the Taskmaster has correctly guessed your famous scene, you may recreate another you may only speak in four-letter words. You have 140 seconds. Amy, four-letter words, what happened? <laughs> um, every four-letter word that I can think of has left my mind. Mm-hmm. The whole four-letter word thing actually really threw me when he, was just, when he said that. I was like, it's hard enough to act it out, but then to have to then yes. count the letters yeah. in every they word. Love, they love to add on this chaotic element because it leads to the performer's getting a bit wacky with it or making silly mistakes that are really funny. So just having that extra element on top that they have to be cognizant of really leads to some heightened comedy in terms of the improvisation. 
Where it absolutely paved off was uh, Nina, Luke and Jimmy going, wall, 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 fall, fall, fall. <laughs> Fantastic. So that was a big payoff. But they were using words that were, that were longer and shorter than four as well. And that was not pointed out. Just saying. <laughs> so the JFK and assassination we got. Uh, Danielle apparently thinks that Ned Kelly died by being shot. I hope that she has gone and done her Australian history homework and discovered, of course, that he was hanged. And I did like the Y2K bugs, bugs, bugs. <laughs> Sean, anything to say about the team task here? I thought this was a really fun live studio task in that it led to just the cast really shining in their different abilities. Like Nina, Luke and Jimmy although in the team task last week. going One of the ever, worst team tasks of all yeah. time across yeah. any season was in, the, in the entire history of the world, yes. Yeah, all of them having some improv skills worked out really, really well. Like the way they did cloning Dolly the sheep was oh, brilliant. Yes, I thought Tom was very slow because as soon as they said same, yeah. Yeah. Oh, they, oh, it's Dolly, same. Yeah, and just like the wall, 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 wall. Great, like they were really quick. And it would be really difficult to come up with these actions and four-letter words that quickly. And I know this is mm-hmm. edited down, but they have the same amount of time as Julie. And 140 and seconds. And yeah. And so to do that many really high-skilled. One of the, the best. Three of them should be on whose line is it anyway. So yes. really, really good at that. Yes. Yeah. And one of the, the best moments that, that sort of slid by, if you didn't notice, was Luke and Jimmy when they did Pompeii and they did lava and they were trying to be volcanoes. And then Luke and Jimmy suddenly took on the shapes of those figures <laughs> that we know really well, of the, the concrete casts of the people caught in the lava. And I thought, oh, fantastic. So they get five points. They did five scenes and uh, three points for the pair doing three scenes. So Jimmy... Uh, and Julia, Ty, you get another thing <laughs> for your taskmaster basket here, Amy. What happens in a tie? So Jimmy and Julia tie at the top and Luke and Nina are at the bottom, not doing very well. Tell us about the tie, Sean. So this is the second tiebreaker of the season. Amy, the first tiebreaker that you missed out on was clapping the most times in a minute. I think this was a much stronger tiebreaker by comparison. So for this tiebreaker, they had to honk a car horn the quietest and they had a very limited time to do it. What did you think about this task overall? I would have really liked to see, because they clearly recorded the decibels, so I would have liked to see something on the side of the screen showing you the decibels because on TV they sounded exactly the same, so you can yes. really tell. So I think it would have been good to have some sort of little graphic where it went up and down to show how loud or soft it was. Uh, so that you get a better sense of how that works. I would have liked them to have a little bit more time too so they could just get a little bit more inventive because Jimmy was sort of stuffing things around the car to sort of muffle the noise, whereas Julia, I think, just got in the car and pressed Mm. the horn softly. So um, I think just even giving them another 30 seconds, something more more inventive could happen there. Julia, very much her style to just get in and push because she likes to do it quickly. So what what we can tell you as Taskmaster uh, knowledge-based people, uh, we know Taskmaster, that they all recorded that task. 
So all five of them oh. would have recorded that task. And so when you get a tiebreaker, they just pull out the two people that they need to break the tie. Ah, oh, right. But I did really like Jimmy's way of going about this task. And so if I was doing this and I had a bit more time, I would have thought to get a Duna and try and stuff a Duna into the hood of the car to then yeah. muffle the car horn. But because he had such limited time, getting whatever was close by, I think he did the best that he could considering. He did it with a flannel shirt, I think. A flannel shirt and the umbrella, which was on the wrong side of the iPad. <laughs> Jimmy wins by his quietest by five decibels. Uh, Amy, this does not change the points. Oh. So you just become the winner of the episode, but you don't get more points for a tiebreaker. Okay, I see what you mean about the points don't matter. They really don't matter. The points really don't matter. But if they did, Danielle remains the leader. Uh, Julia's jumped up and our winner picks, <laughs> Nina and Luke, are a, a long way off the running like and, and falling further and further behind. If you were compelled to pick a winner now, Amy, who would you pick? I think it would be probably, it would be between Danielle and Julia. They did seem to me to be the most thoughtful about what they were doing and in some ways I felt like maybe Danielle and Julia it feels like as I was sort of saying earlier it feels like they sort of they don't take it seriously but they are actually trying to complete the challenge for the sake of completing the challenge rather than thinking about the comic element and then being sidetracked by trying to entertain rather than get the challenge done so my instinct would be one of those two and I probably in the end might say Julia, she's just been around longer. She knows how to entertain so she can bring that extra, that funniness that might earn her some extra points over the top of Danielle. Yes. Uh, Danielle's done very well in the prize tasks. She's won them all up till this one where she got four points. So she has keyed into what Tom is going to like and reward while remaining very true to herself. I think at, at this point in the season, I think Danielle or Julia is a very good winner pick, and Danielle in particular. Sean, we're keeping our winner picks, but what do you feel about that? Here we are in season, uh, in episode four. Yeah, I feel like it's pretty accurate with six episodes to go and such a gulf in points starting to form. <laughs> Danielle has been so consistent, and Julia as well is very consistent because even when she puts in low effort, she's normally middle of the pack. And then sometimes when she puts in a little bit more effort, she's top of the pack. So she's never really getting down to that one-point territory. And whereas Luke and Nina, they're either at five or one. And it's going to make it really hard unless they start hitting those fours and fives consistently. They're not going to be catching that up. Very true. So do we think they shoot the tasks all at once and then they cut and edit them and then they shoot in studio? Or do you think they're shooting batches of episodes because I was thinking about what you were saying about Danielle figuring out what it is that the taskmaster wants to see is there actually capacity to do that or is there not uh, like are they because they filmed like a hundred tasks so actually she can't sort of adapt the tasks as the season goes on she's just shot them all at once yeah Yeah, she can't adapt the filmed tasks but in terms of the in-studio tasks if you were choosing your prize each week you could be you could be responding to how Tom is responding to you or if your your prize was already selected you could be presenting it in a way that he's going to find uh, palatable only the first and last task that is filmed in studio yes yep 
So often with the in-studio prize task, they often film one or two studio episodes a day. And so over a week, they'll try and film the whole 10 episodes for the season. Um, and so often the contestants have an opportunity if their prize tasks aren't going good on day one or day two, they can change them leading up to episodes like six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. Mm. There's mm. an instance of this in season eight in the UK where one of the contestants, Joe Thomas, took all of the prize tasks too literally and was performing absolutely terribly. And they gave him the option to change his prize tasks for the remainder of the season. And he decided to just stick with what he had and try and sell them, which was mm-hmm. almost funnier for it. People trying to sell things that the taskmaster's not buying is fantastic because if you can turn them, you've really earned those points. <laughs> All right, let's get to our superlatives. Uh, Sean, who was your most valuable player for this episode? I really rated Jimmy this week. Other than the prize task, every other task, he was really performing in a way that was genuine and I found really just funny this week that he was just going for it, jumping into the dinghy, spreading the yeast spread all over Tom Cashman's jacket. I love whenever anyone messes with the Taskmaster's assistant. So for this week for me, he was finally hitting my funny bone. For me, it was uh, Danielle. As I said, I love her bonding with Julia over flamethrowers. The crab story just absolutely got me. I'm very fond of this young woman and I and I hope she goes far. And what about you, Amy? Who was your most valuable player? I think I still got the most laughs out of Luke McGregor. I think that's why he was probably my favourite going in. I still really enjoy everything that he's on. Um, and I just find that awkward persona that he puts on to be just so hilarious. So I laughed out loud several times at him. Yes, yes. Did you you did some laughing out loud as you watched? I'm glad I'm glad to hear that. I get I snort. I do a, quite a lot of snorting and <laughs> appreciative humming as I sit alone. For me, the best task was snap, crackle, and pop. I love the very simple tasks that have such a broad interpretation. You can go absolutely anywhere with them, including forgetting that your first snap, crackle, and pop count I think this this was uh, this that gave me the most amusement was the redacted sounds of Nina and her reaction to them oh that was oh, I love that one and then in studio when Tom Gleason said to Tom Cashman well you were there were they satisfying and he said oh yeah they were really good so <laughs> I loved that interaction there uh, what was your best task Amy I really liked the genetic meat spread I thought that was quite funny it's very kind of quintessentially Australian to have this giant jar of Vegemite, um, you know, the the most beloved food product in Australia and the most hated outside of Australia. So I just thought that was really kind of funny and very tactile and to see the different ways in which they approached it. For instance, you know, people really thinking very creatively about it and then other people just plunging their hand into the jar and that's yes. it. Yes, yes. Uh, Sean, best task for you? I love the sink the bowling ball task because I love the level of thought that went into the design of it in perfectly knowing that the contestants would do one thing and have that not work and lead to the chaos after that. And it led to such funny things that paid off throughout the episode, whether it be Luke and his bathroom accidents or Nina, and it's still paying off in the yeast spread task and the bowling ball still being there floating. Like It was just really well designed and really well filmed, which made it such a fun task. 
And what, Amy, what you don't know is that is where Taskmaster New Zealand also films. And they call it Pooh Lake for a reason. It is, in fact, full of E. coli, which is why they don't want them going in. They don't mind oh. them sitting on it in boats, though. I would have thought the splashes and having it on your hand, maybe they have safety people standing by. But apparently that water is not clean. <laughs> and do all the Taskmaster sets look the same, the in-studio set? Because I felt like I was in a really, really fancy Chinese restaurant. <laughs> they all look like that, yes. Yeah. So quotes of the week. My quote of the week comes from Tom Gleeson, as, as it often does. It's now time to spread 40-ish minutes of content out over an hour by going on another ad break. I love that. Did you have a quote of the week, Sean? I did not this week. That was one of my oh. favourite. Just the transparency of it was really, really funny. Mm -hmm. And a quote of the week, Amy? Why are you feeling sorry for an average-looking man who brought in a chair? <laughs> Yes, he does. He, Tom Cleason loves playing with the audience and they love it. <laughs> so now what we saw on Next Time On and what we think it means, all I could glean was a team task in navy blue boiler suits. Mm. The rest of it was such a sizzle reel of quick cuts. Sean, did you see anything you could identify as a task? Yeah, it was the same kind of deal. I'm excited for a team task in boiler suits because that often means they're either doing something messy or something that's a little bit more strange, which is normally going to be fun and chaotic. But yeah, that's all I could really glean from it. How about you, Amy? No, I didn't. <laughs> Going into the show with so little knowledge, no, I did not understand anything that was planning to happen next week. Now that you've watched an episode, what's your overall thoughts on Taskmaster Australia? And very importantly, will you be watching on? Well, I do like that it is something you can just dip in and out of. You don't need to have watched previous episodes. You don't really need to have any kind of background knowledge and you could even walk away halfway through the show and then come back. And since the points don't matter, it wouldn't really matter because each segment is sort of standalone. So I did think it would be actually something really good to watch with my kids. I've got two primary, well, one high school, one primary age boy at home. Um, so I think it's the sort of thing they would enjoy. Like I think they would have thought that the Vegemite spreading and the, the bowling ball that wouldn't stick would have been hilarious. So it's quite good family watching television. As to whether I would watch it again, sadly, not because of Taskmaster, but because of other things that are happening in the world, <coughs> Survivor four times a week, uh, I probably will not watch it again, uh, mainly because of scheduling conflicts and because that will already be taking up about 15 hours of television in my uh, in my t entire week. So, yes. Uh, but I thought it was, it was a pretty fun little show to watch. And well, it probably would have made it even funnier if you watched it after a few drinks. Yes. If you wanted any more sweetening of the pot, Nina Oriyama actually tweeted, low-key episode five of Taskmaster AU has one of the most chaotic tasks ever. It is so effed up. You do not want to miss it. I cannot say any more. <gasps> she's been very hot on Twitter. I'm, uh, she's a great follow. Well, Amy, those episodes are going to be on 10 Play that you can dip in and out of with your kids, you know, at a later time after the very important events of uh, Survivor Australia Heroes versus Villains and Survivor 44, throw away the four, keep the four or something starting <laughs> next week. Speaking of next week, for episode five, we'll have returning guest Naomi Calhoun to break it all down with us. If you've been following along, she did the pre-season uh, setup for us. So, Amy, what do you have going on and where can the people find you? 
you can follow me on Twitter at Survivor Tragic. In my non-TV watching life, I'm also a children's book author. So if you live in regional Victoria, I have a bit of an exhibition that's touring around at the moment called Juvenilia, which is all the early childhood drawings and writings of Australian children's authors. Um, I also have my own podcast called Kids Pod, again, obviously for children. But on there, there's quite a lot of interviews with reality TV people. So if that's something of interest, you can listen to that. So that's where you can find me. Wonderful. And Sean, how about you? So you can fo follow us at a Dash of Ninjas on Twitter to keep up with our Taskmaster AU coverage. Or you can follow me at Sheena Bree on Twitter, where I tweet a lot about especially Australian Survivor at the moment. That's the main thing that I tweet about. There's a lot of entertainment that's come from just cookies and the things that cookies can lead to. So that has been brilliant. Or if you're really creepy and look through my windows, you can find me reading Amy's books to my daughter at night with <laughs> a happy mask and peg leg pedicure. So that's a good plug for those and you should buy them. Thanks, Sean. Sarah, what's going on with you? You can follow me at Sarah Carradine on Twitter if you would like to do that. I host a weekly true crime review podcast called Crime Scene, that's S-E-E-N, on RHAP with the great Murray Forth. I'm writing about Australian survivor heroes versus villains, so we're all, we're all boots in there. You can find my articles over at Inside Survivor. And on Post Show Recaps, I'm Pogue for Life with Mary Kwiatkowski talking all things Outer Banks Season 3. You can catch up on our recap of Seasons 1 and 2 over there as well. We are P4L. That's it until episode five. Please send us your comments and questions on Twitter at A Dash of Gingers. And remember, all the information you need is in the task. <laughs>